I think last cycle was really the first cycle that this data became actionable for anybody to any degree. I'm Eric Wilson, managing partner of Startup Caucus, an investment fund and incubator for Republican campaign technology. Welcome to the Business of Politics show. On this podcast, we bring you into conversation with the entrepreneurs who build best-in-class political businesses, the funders who provide the capital, and the operatives who put it all together to win campaigns. Today, we're joined by Adam Meldrum, president of Ad Victory, a political media buying and audience intelligence firm. Adam has worked on a ton of campaigns. To name a few, you've got Nancy Mace for Congress, Ben Sass for Senate, Bill Lee for Governor, and a number of party committees and PACs. In our conversation, we talk about the new technology he's excited about to put to work in campaigns this year, how he stays at the cutting edge, and how to sell innovation in the Republican Party. Adam, each election cycle, it seems like you're working at the cutting edge of where new technology interacts with politics. This year, that's automated content recognition, which we'll call ACR for the rest of the show. What is it and why are you so excited about it? Automated content recognition, you know, funny enough with with acronyms, it actually kind of very well describes what it does. It recognizes content on screens. So as people consume media, as they watch TV shows on smart TV devices, as they watch commercials, as they engage with internet content, um, over-the-top connected TV content, any of those images that show up on a screen, automated content recognition captures those data points about users and helps us do a whole bunch of things about measuring what's on people's screen, measuring what people consume, categorizing those people into audience data, actionable audiences, so we can target them with other di- digital programs and that type of stuff. And, and I'm just really excited about it because, you know, so much of this space has always lived around offline data and matching offline data, onboarding offline data, voter file data, and targeting, or, or leveraging, you know, third-party data segments from third-party data providers cookie-based data. And as we know, that stuff's just going away one way or the other, kind of uh, kind of continues to, to, to regress for how much we can use it. Um, and, and, and what this data does, very similar to how you uh, understand um, and glean insights from what people search online, how they show intent, um, what, new, what websites they visit, um, what kind of articles they read. It's all contextual-based data. So it's, it's real-world data of what people are engaging with and choosing and opting in to watch and seeking out and how that can tell you about audiences that you're interested in and how you can reach them. So it takes away the, the modeling and the, and the data intelligence work, which is very valuable, but it adds a whole other layer to that where you're able to kind of glean insights about what people are actually doing in the real world to inform things about them. And those two things working together, you know, are really powerful. It's not a one or the other type of thing. It's it's getting those two things to work together that, that really give you, you know, powerful measurement and powerful insights. So that's why I'm really excited about it. So help me understand, you're getting this from like the cable set top boxes or like your Roku boxes. Is that where you're getting that data from? This comes from the actual, the manufacturers of the smart TV devices. So this is technology that's built into your uh, LG TV or your Vizio or your Samsung device. Those OEMs are the people that actually control these data and it's opt-in. So when, when a user sets up a smart TV device, you know, there's so much in the 
in the space these days around privacy of data and privacy with that type of stuff. When you set up a smart TV, you actually opt in as part of the, you know, the, the T's and C's that you go through when you set up a smart TV. You're actually opting into allowing this data to be actionable by, by these device owners. Um, so it's actually the hardware built into the device that owns the ACR data and that data is licensed out or used by those by those manufacturers um, to inform audiences, inform targeting, um, and that type of stuff. Wow. So I should have paid attention the last time I was really excited to get a TV and I just wanted to skip through everything. Yeah. You know, I think people, you know, those, those T's and C's on, on, on websites and on, on TVs and on donation pages and all that stuff, or there's a lot buried there that folks maybe aren't too excited about after the fact. So, I, I mean, I think that will surprise a lot of our listeners that their TVs are not only recording everything they watch, but sharing it with other people, help us understand how does that data actually come to you? Does it say like, oh, here's Eric Wilson's file, or is it like a big spreadsheet? How do you actually get it from the manufacturers? It's anonymized data. So that's one, you know, that's one thing. I think the, I think the, the legalese that goes along with any of this, you know, cookie-based data and that type of stuff that's always been part of, of online tracking and online measurement is anonymized to some degree um, or to, to a high degree. So, so I think that's one thing that, that, that people should feel comfortable about. But the data comes in the form of measurement analytics in one way. So, it, so, so we're able to see kind of in broad macro lenses how many times a commercial showed up on somebody's screen or how many times you know do they are they a regular weekly watcher of the um, a daily watcher of the nightly news or do they only maybe only watch on the weekends um, and, and and you get you know kind of macro level aggregate stats about people's media consumption uh, patterns from a measurement point of view so so really looking at a lot of this data you know one way you look at it is from a measurement and analytics point of view stats and statistics and all that type of stuff. And the other way that, that it comes is in audience files. So if you wanted to say, you know, in a, from a political campaign example, you know, we would like to build an audience of everybody who's seen our opponent's TV ad. So your opponents, um, you know, are on TV, they're buying broadcast TV, cable TV ads uh, that are showing up on, on voter screens in the, in the district or in the state. And as a campaign, you'd like to conquest and say, I want a, I want an actionable audience segment of people that have been exposed to uh, my opponent's TV ads. So that data then comes as an audience file, very similar to audience files that come through uh, to target on Facebook or, or in a DSP, um, a demand side platform from a programmatic targeting environment. And, and those are actionable audience segments that you can that you can target. And those could be people that have seen an opponent's TV ad, people that have seen your TV ads as a campaign. You could suppress, um, you know, those users, those viewers of, of people that have been exposed to your TV ad in your digital program so that you're using your digital digital dollars more efficiently and saying we only want to reach people online that maybe aren't being exposed to our TV ad that's more of a core cutter, not a broadcast viewer, not a cable viewer and that type of stuff. So it, so it comes in all those different ways. So let me just get this straight so I understand it, which is, you know, let's say I'm a candidate and I'm running for office. I run a TV uh, spot. I can then go to the ACR data and say it was watched on a hundred different TVs in this zip code? Is that kind of the level of data I can get? That's exactly right. Yeah. You can, you can get, you know, what's the average frequency, you know, what channel is driving the most kind of reach? Um, are you, are you able to, to measure, 
you know, and pick up incremental reach of, uh, of from an audience perspective of people that are seeing your ads on one station that aren't seeing it at another. Now, it's you got to remember, it's only a slice and dice of the population. Uh, it's only people that have these uh, smart TV devices, people that have opted in. Yeah, yeah, I didn't read the terms and conditions and that, and that kind of thing. So it's a sample to some degree, just like Nielsen panels are a sample to some degree too. But if you look at, you know, a Nielsen panel of, of 10,000 users or 10,000 viewers or something like that, you're getting, you know, millions. The, the last kind of count, I think it was, there's about 80 million smart devices um, in the U.S. right now. Seven out of 10 house, households have one of these smart TVs. That doesn't mean everybody's opted in, but that market share is only growing, you know, as, as you realize when you go out and buy a new TV, these are the kind of TVs that people is are that buying. Is that how they're getting so cheap? <laughs> they're, they're selling our data? I don't know how that, I think technology always has a downward force as, as the market uh, kind of evolves, but but maybe that's one way they're monetizing and offsetting the cost at, at, to some degree. Yeah, that's not my business. Yeah, so. We're, so we're we're looking at it from like an ad measurement perspective, but one thing that just occurs to me in our conversation here is that I could then use it from a, oh, I see that, you know, this sample of voters were exposed to this story that's unfavorable towards me or maybe unfavorable towards our opponent. And, you know, maybe that was an opposition research hit or something like that. Could you could you yeah. use it for earned as well? Yeah, I think so. I think I think particularly in the, you know, in the public affairs space, that's a big use, maybe a little bit different than political campaigns because you have, you know, news coverage or stories that, that get tied to a brand or a corporation about something, you know, in the oil, natural gas industry or the tobacco industry, there's a big expose on, um, you know, tobacco use on 60 Minutes or something like that. And, and you know, people that watch that program, that might be of interest to, um, you know, people in, in more on the public affairs or kind if of space. I watch the Netflix documentary on Boeing, for example. Exactly right. Exactly right. And that's, you know, that's the great thing about it is that it's a measurement point that's kind of agnostic to the to the medium or, or to the um, uh, to the delivery method that you're you're getting the um, you're getting the content. So you know it's it's anything over the top. It's anything on linear uh, broadcast. It's anything on cable. It's anything on YouTube. You know, maybe a gaming console. It's anything that shows up on the screen. So you know, previously all the measurement. The problem with it all is it's all been siloed off into those the delivery channels, the delivery method of which the media is coming through, that's where the measurement is siloed off. Now you have this thing that's actually living on the device. So it's capturing across all those different things. So while it's not perfect and it still has a long way to go, it's kind of more, a more all-encompassing measurement and agnostic and a little less biased to that degree than, than maybe you know some of the other stuff that, that's been out there before. So we're obviously in the thick of primary season for the 2022 midterms. What campaigns, what types of campaigns need to be looking at this tech right now and making sure that they're using it this year? Well, I think I think it's naturally inclined uh, to benefit larger scale campaigns at this. You know, I think last cycle, the data was was almost and, and it's, a, it's a testament to how quickly this stuff evolves. I think last cycle was really the first cycle that this data became actionable for anybody to, to any degree. And now this campaign season I think you're certainly able to see why a statewide or a super PAC initiative or a national campaign would have more use for this data because they're measuring against things they're doing on on more robust media mixes. So they're they're on broadcast, they're on cable, they they have robust digital programs going. Their opponents do too. So there's a lot more to glean in and out of not only what you're doing but what your opposition is doing in those larger scale campaigns. And I think they can look at it from a from a very very ongoing 
kind of storytelling narrative of what's going on in a race and how people are being exposed to media and consuming it and what that can mean for their, their targeting strategies week by week, day by day, month by month as you go through a race. But, but then, you know, a smaller campaign, I think could, could be very simple with it. You know, I don't think it has to be this complicated, big barrier to entry type of tool. You know, very simply, if a, if a campaign, you know, wants to reach people that watch the nightly news, you know, but they don't have money to be on the nightly news. Um, you know, with broadcast TV in, in a state legislative race or um, or a congressional race, but they want like heavy news consumers. Uh, there's certainly online segments that are available for that type of stuff. But an ACR segment of that type of data could be a very, you know, easy data segment to access and target in a cheaper digital manner. And that might be a very valuable audience for, for a smaller campaign. So the data itself kind of scales and can be as expensive or affordable. I mean, does it get into a price point for some of these like state ledge campaigns? I think there's probably minimums. You know, the, the, the data is accessed through partners that have access to the data. So you have technology shops, you have, you know, the Samba TVs, uh, the Sambas of, of the world and those types of things. You have bigger digital agencies that have access to this data. So at some points there might be, you know, minimums and things like that. Um, but but any campaign that's working with any kind of you know, digital agency that has access to these tools should be able to access it at some level. So what are some of the other measurement tools that campaigns should be be looking at that maybe aren't ACR? It's a, it's a great question. Um, you know, I think brand lift is not a new tool by any means. I think it's I think it's underutilized. I think it gets underutilized because so much of campaigns are driven by the traditional understanding of what a poll is and how a poll asks question and ask questions and how a poll returns data um, to make decisions in campaigns. And, and brand lift studies uh, aren't a poll, right? They're, they're, they're a measurement of how people engage with a single piece of creative and a single or and a, a single piece of creative between people that have been exposed to, to it and, and then and an unexposed audience online. So it's measuring the difference between how your media, how your creative is driving impact between people that have seen it and people that haven't seen it. So, you know, I think there's all kinds of cool, cool, um, uh, cool things that Google's doing. Third-party brand lift providers, uh, Facebook. You know, some of those have a higher point of entry price point about how to use them. Google's fairly low um, for how to access it. But if you can kind of measure how people are responding to creative, you know, the news cycle moves so quick. Uh, there's so much thrown at people these days, and polls do a good job of capturing significant sample of an electorate. Um, but how people are responding to specific pieces of creative in the digital space, to me, is a really cool data point that a more granular digital digital strategist might be able to use um, and convey in a campaign and add to the measurement narrative and add to the how decisions are made with, with those types of data points um, if, if they can have a bigger voice at the table um, with those types of things. You're listening to the Business of Politics show. I'm speaking with Adam Meldrum from Ad Victory. Adam, we know that political conventional wisdom and is really slow to change, and there's a lot of inertia in the way we run campaigns. So how do you identify and recruit these early adopters to try new tech? Campaigns are notoriously slow, as you mentioned, in some ways, and, and that's not their own fault um, in, in a lot of ways. But uh, you know, you know how, a, how a campaign budget is presented to the decision makers drives you know, a lot of how decisions are funded and, and made. So figuring out ways, I think, to to 
insert this type of stuff in a campaign budget as a line item that's more familiar, that goes along with things that the campaign strategists and, and candidates and, and decision makers are used to seeing, I think is one way that's that's very helpful. The, the more you start to interject new types of things in, in campaign budgets as line items that, that folks aren't used to, the more pushback you usually find. So, you know, I think the nice thing about some of these digital measurement tools um, is that they go along with you know, media buying and digital media or broadcast media. So they naturally, I think, kind of evolve into just parts of the service. Um, and that's slow, that's cycle to cycle. Um, and it takes, you know, I think usually presidential campaigns drive a lot of the technology innovation in, in political campaigns. So as presidential cycles happen and things get adopted at a presidential level, now you have all these operatives that are exposed to it. The technology maybe becomes a little bit lower barrier to entry in the next cycle. So it kind of waterfalls down. Um, and I think as long as as long as the campaign is open-minded, a candidate is open-minded, and that stuff kind of naturally evolves from cycle to cycle kind of in that way. Yeah, it strikes me as one of the, we talk about this all the time, you know, you want your product to be a painkiller rather than a vitamin and and <laughs> measuring the efficacy of what we're doing is, is definitely vitamin in that it's good for you, but is an add on. So, you know, one thing we see in these political startups is that there is that push and pull between what customers want right now versus what we as innovators know that they are going to need in the future. I'm curious to hear how you balance that, where you obviously need customers to pay you because you're running a business, um, but you really want them to pay you for the thing that you want to create. And, and so how do, you, how do you reconcile that? I think building into the, into the workflow, how you communicate the data is really important. Um, I, I say this you know, to my team all the time, especially in the, in the digital space. You know, how you communicate what you're doing, you know, from a process point of view to, hey, you know, uh, we're putting a plan together and, and, hey, we need your feedback on this or, hey, the ads have started or, hey, the ads have stopped. Um, you know, just just that that basic communication about what you're doing uh, is so important to, to how the, the client is receptive to it and how success is perceived. You know, I often I jokingly say that you could be running the worst digital program or the worst media program for your client in the world. You could literally be wasting their money, making bad decisions with it. But if you communicate, you know, the, the, the phases of it in, in a good way with good visualizations and, and, and prompt updates, you know, the clients most of the times think it's great because they don't know any better. Um, and you could be running the best digital program for your clients in the world or the best media program for your clients in the world. But if you're failing to communicate it well to them, they're often frustrated and they don't understand. Now, obviously, you want to be doing the, the latter in that example rather than the former. And I say it more as a joke, but but how you communicate and tell the story about what you're doing, how it's impacting people is second to none in terms of the importance of, of how well clients receive it. And I think if you if you do that in a way, you can you can make clients understand the value in it um, and you can figure out different ways to monetize you know, the service for that. You know, I, I think, you know, trying to get consulting retainers um, uh, and, and getting people and campaigns more amicable to paying consulting retainers to these agencies that put so much time in. So, you know, so much of this has always been structured on, you know, the media buy and a percent of the media buy. And that's where you make your money. And, and the media buy doesn't happen in force until the end of a campaign in, in large numbers. Um, so, so it's a very hard, as most of the listeners to this show know, as you know, it's a very hard business to cash flow um, and, and, and stabilize the revenue for. But, but you're adding so much value along the way um, in terms of understanding audiences at different phases of campaigns, in terms of you know, building lists and, and fundraising and, and that whole other side of, of digital and the performance 
um, metrics of it. Um, and then ultimately to where that pays off, to where all of that stuff comes together from a measurement point of view, from an intelligence point of view, to where those last 60 days of a campaign, you know, the, the public tunes in, everybody pays attention. And now you're really going to drive impact. Um, I think if you can communicate value along the way and kind of get that more stabilized revenue as a consultancy, I think that's one good way to do it. And one thing I've tried to do, uh, it's labor intensive because people want you on the phone um, and they want kind of regular feedback from you and they want regular intelligence from you and insight and, and you have to prove the value. And that's tough to do. Um, but but I think that's one way to do it and think about doing it from a business perspective. Yeah. And I just want to underline something that you you said there, which is you've got to tell your own story. If you're not telling your your customers how the impact that you're making and how you're making a difference, no one else is going to do that. And so I think a lot of people think that eventually the customers are going to come to you and demand this, this really cool stuff. And they'll finally recognize that you were the one who was doing it all along. We just don't see yeah. that working because yeah. one of the big challenges facing political entrepreneurs is the, the long and cyclical sales cycle of campaigns. You know, how do you stay top of mind with your customers throughout the year? It goes back to that communication point. You know, I think there's always ways that you can be in front of your clients with insight, with intelligence. You know, last cycle, I spent a fair amount of time doing a lot of of stuff around social listening. Um, and, and, And social listening, I think, is a is maybe a poor way to talk about it in the political space. It really comes from the brand world and how brands started to realize they could. Um, it's such a know, nebulous sort of idea. I think that's the challenge because there are all kinds of social listening, right? I think that's a right. challenge. But, but but the root of it is, is, you know, it kind of goes along to the point I made earlier about the contextual data that, that, that comes from how people are engaging um, and doing things in the real world. What are they searching for? What are they watching on TV? Are they reacting positively to ne- and, or negatively to it? And how does that in- interface um, and intersect with, with, with what a campaign cares about? So in, in the digital space related to audiences and related to, to media consumption and related to uh, those kind of contextual things. There, there are these ongoing. It's, you know, I made the example that it's an always-on focus group to some degree. You know, people are putting stuff out there in this world all the time that give us signals into how they feel, how they react, how they like, how they dislike things. And there's no perfect. It's, it's not a, a thing you hit. You know, export it and it gives you just really clean report. And it gives you a poll with, you know, percents and 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 positives and negatives and cross tabs. It's really a, a an ongoing story that you have to read into and you have to figure out how to understand and you have to figure out what you can glean from it. But but it's there, you know, and if you can be the person understanding that and telling it to, to campaigns or telling it to your clients on an ongoing basis, that adds value along the way. Um, then I think that's put you in a good position to stay top of mind, to to figure out new ways to monetize those types of services, either as a consultancy or on more of a transactional level. Um, but it's certainly not easy. It's certainly not cookie cutter. Uh, but I think smart people figure out smart ways to do things with with data. And, and then there's certainly no shortage of that these days. The uh, one resource that campaigns never run out of is unsolicited advice, right? And so in a lot, <laughs> a lot of ways, social listening is 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 geared towards that. Adam, if you weren't working on Ad Victory right now and some of the other projects you've got going on, what's a problem or challenge you tackle uh, with a new startup? I think I'd love to figure out a way to streamline the information flow in campaigns more. You know, there is so much clutter and there is so much that comes at folks and there's so much that has to be 
rehashed and recycled, um, you know, for people to understand what's going on in campaigns. There's this kind of pie in the sky that's always been out there in the campaigns for like, how could you create this like one all encompassing dashboard that showed everything um, and that, that, that folks could log into and just see what's going on from a voter contact perspective, from a measurement perspective and polling and from a media consumption point of view. And I think the problem that's always presented in that from being a viable solution is that everybody's tried to overcomplicate it. Um, and and they, they, they assume that you need more granular level of detail than you really do. But, but I would love to just be able to kind of have a cycle to step back <laughs> and, and think about that problem from a really high level um, and make it as simple as possible and, and come up with a solution that kind of took, you know, really everything from a top line perspective from all the different kind of communication and measurement stuff that's flying around a campaign. And how could you present that to people very simply and easily um, and have that add value along the way? So I'm not even sure whether that's possible or not, but I think it'd be great if somebody figured out that problem. Got it. Well, some some good ideas there. I want to thank Adam so much for joining us today. I really appreciate his insights. You can learn more about him at his website. Link is included in our show notes. Please remember to subscribe to the Business of Politics show wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you learned something at all and it made you a little bit smarter, please share it with a friend. And if you're a super fan of the podcast, I really, really would appreciate it if you go leave a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts because that's the number one way that we grow and more people find us. And with that, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.